0: Welcome to Pushback. I'm Aaron Maté. After losing to Donald Trump in 2016, Hillary Clinton is best known of late for attacking candidates who are trying to beat Trump in 2020. Most recently, Hillary Clinton attacked Bernie Sanders, saying that no one likes him, except, of course, for Democratic primary voters who are currently ranking him at the top of the polls. This came a few months after Hillary Clinton attacked Tulsi Gabbard, suggesting that she was a Russian asset. I'm not making any predictions,
1: but I think they've got their eye on somebody who's currently in the Democratic (laughs) primary and are grooming her to be the third party candidate. Mm -hmm. She's a favorite of the Russians. They have a bunch of sites and bots and other ways of supporting her Mm -hmm. so far. And that's assuming Jill Stein will give it up, which she might not
0: because she's also a Russian uh, asset. Well, while Bernie Sanders has so far ignored Hillary Clinton's attacks, Tulsi Gabbard is responding. She has just filed a $50 million defamation suit against Hillary Clinton for smearing her as a Russian asset. Joining me now to discuss is Michael Tracy, independent journalist who is on the campaign trail covering the Tulsi Gabbard campaign. Michael Tracy, welcome to Pushback. What can you tell us about this lawsuit and how it came about?
1: Well, the lawsuit came about, as you mentioned, when Hillary, seemingly out of the blue in October of last year, decided on a podcast with notably a prominent former Obama official, David Pluff, who ran famously his successful 2008 campaign. Hillary decided to just drop this bombshell alleging that Essentially, Tulsi Gabbard was being controlled by a sinister foreign government. That's what the clear implication of Hillary's statement was. And whether Russia is genuinely sinister is another debate, but that is the connotation that Hillary Clinton was seeking to apply because dating back to the very day that Tulsi Gabbard launched her campaign with her official kickoff speech, there has been a concerted effort on the part of major media organs to paint her as somehow a stooge of Russia. It's a culmination, in a way, of much of the insidious effects of the entire Russia Gate narrative that you and I and a few others have been pointing out now for years. On the very day that Tulsi Gabbard delivered her introductory speech of the presidential campaign, NBC News timed a hit piece based on this nonsensical, quote-unquote, study or review of Russian bot social media activity, and use that to claim that Tulsi Gaver was essentially in hock to Putin, which, in the context of a Democratic primary, probably is not the way that you want to kick things off, right? Um, given how animated many, or at least a segment of the Democratic primary electorate is by this perceived intrusion of russia on u.s. political affairs so hillary kind of brought that to fruition with her comments on this podcast and tulsi is now saying that she incurred losses as a result of it and i think it's true that you do incur reputational losses when the party's pre- previous dem- uh, presidential nominee former secretary of state one of the most high-profile individuals in the country decides to essentially slander you in this fashion now if this actually goes to trial which is a little in doubt. I mean, there is a political motive, a motive behind this lawsuit in a way because it emphasizes Tulsi's unique willingness to take on those who are attempting to destroy her, unlike arguably, in a way, Bernie, although they're obviously in different political positions so that uh, the considerations to be taken into account differ. Uh, but at least in Tulsi's case, we're getting toward the first voting now, uh, next month, And she wants to, I think, emphasize that when these powerful political elites try to rain down smears on her, she's not going to take it lightly. And it's especially notable in a way because, as you are well aware, Aaron, the media and political actors have for years been able to impugn the integrity of anybody who questions any aspect of the Russiagate narrative or now it's sort of – ugly stepsister, the impeachment narrative, as somehow being complicit with the evil deeds of the Kremlin. They've done that with impunity. So this is really one of the first major instances I can recall when somebody who has taken the brunt of some of these attacks says, you know what, I'm not going to stand for it. I'm going to employ some tangible action here to oppose it. So for anybody who has been maligned since 2016, as doing the bidding of Russia, it's refreshing in a way to see somebody actually stand up and put their money where their mouth is and say, this is not going to stand.
0: Right. And you know, one thing that the lawsuit points out, the the filing by Tulsi Gabbard's attorneys, uh, is that Tulsi Gabbard asked Hillary Clinton for an apology and a retraction, and that Tulsi Gabbard even contacted Hillary Clinton and asked her to uh, retract her smear of her as a, as a Russian asset, but that Hillary Clinton did not respond. So the notion that this lawsuit even comes from nowhere, which has been put forward by some people, that it's just a political stunt is false, because actually it's Tulsi Gabbard you know, responding to the fact that she's given an opportunity to Hillary Clinton to retract an obvious ridiculous smear, but Hillary Clinton explicitly rejected that. She basically refused to respond to Tulsi Gabbard's request. That's right.
1: And... Tulsi Gabbard gave her now several months to retract the allegation. So what do you do at that point? What other options do you have? There's a reason why the United States does have defamation law. Now, the standard is quite high, and as a political figure with a public profile, Tulsi Gabbard has to reach an even higher standard than let's say an ordinary person quote unquote would have to but nonetheless it's still sort of a statement unto itself that she would see through this attempt to highlight how insidious such attacks really are and so you know again for the the small group of us who have been inundated with these kinds of attacks for years it, it, it's a notable attempt to finally, stand up and 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 retaliate in my judgment. Now, I saw others saying that because Hillary in the cl- podcast clip didn't utter Tulsi Gabbard's name, then that means it couldn't have been defamatory, even though everybody who listened to it immediately knew exactly who Hillary Clinton was talking about. And Hillary Clinton's spokesperson, Nick Merrill, subsequently confirmed that it was a reference to Tulsi, and he confirmed it in the most grotesque way by saying, if the nesting doll fits. In other words, yes, that's who Hillary was talking about. And on top of that,
0: David Pluff, By the in way, Michael, same podcast, Michael, yeah, yeah, yeah. by the way, uh, Nick, Nick Merrill added, quote, this is not some outlandish claim, this is reality, unquote.
1: Right, so what is that if not an explicit confirmation that yes, Tulsi Gabbard was being referenced there? And then on top of that, if you needed any more proof, which you really don't, but we have some more in that David Plouffe, who hosted that podcast, in that same episode, at the end, said that, oh, I think some of the big news out of this discussion with Hillary Clinton is going to be that she is suggesting that there's this nefarious Russia-Trump plot to boost Tulsi Gabbard to run a third-party candidacy. So
0: There we go. So... Let's talk a bit about uh, how 2016 plays into this because it's well known that Tulsi Gabbard is a prominent critic of Hillary Clinton's actual record when it comes to warmongering, destroying Libya with the Libya war, uh, pushing the proxy war in Syria that helped tear Syria apart. Tulsi Gabbard is probably the most, is the most prominent critic of uh, regime change wars right now when it comes to people inside uh, the US Congress. but. Talk to us a bit about what happened in 2016 where, you know, Tulsi Gabbard was being groomed as a future star of the party. She was held a high position inside the DNC. She was the vice chair, but she resigned uh, so she could endorse Bernie Sanders. And not just that, but if I remember right, she was even voicing alarm at the time that there was a bias against Bernie Sanders, which proved to be totally vindicated when the emails from the DNC showed exactly that.
1: Uh, she resigned from the DNC in 2016 at a crucial juncture when not very many political figures of any real prominence had endorsed Bernie, even though obviously he was gaining traction amongst the electorate. He had won the New Hampshire primary that year by a lo- wide margin. He had won a couple of other states. So – but that – That obvious desire for an alternative to Hillary Clinton at the time was not being reflected in the political class because nobody really had endorsed Bernie. So for her to do that and in addition to resign the safe position that she had within the Democratic Party institutional apparatus was a huge career risk for her. She could have potentially gone on to, say, run for Senate, run for governor or just garnered seniority in the house over time that would have allowed her to acquire additional influence in the party and she gave it all up at a time when, remember the mantra was we all have to now unite against trump because he's such an existential threat meaning it was almost seen as offensive and damaging that bernie would continue to campaign under those circumstances so that's the risk that Tulsi incurred by endorsing Bernie at that point. And she didn't just endorse him. She became one of his most prominent surrogates. And at the convention in July of that year, the Bernie campaign selected her to enter his name into nomination, which is the most high-profile surrogate position that a campaign can give out. Um, So it makes perfect sense to flash-forwarding now four years later Tulsi is the candidate who is, again, defending Bernie as he's under renewed attack. When the whole Elizabeth Warren episode flared up last year when she essentially accused him of sexism by confiding a private communication, which was, by the way, or at least her own twist on a private communication, which I think was actually more sleazy than anything Hillary ever tried to pull off in 2016, because at least when Hillary attacked Bernie, it was based on – Policies. Now it was a a distortion of the policies for the most part, but it wasn't this 11th hour revelation of a private conversation that was framed in the most harmful way possible. So Tulsi comes out and defends Bernie, right? And yet you still see a segment of Bernie supporters, at least online, although they seem to come around now, who view who are with some measure of uh, suspicion that I think is is misplaced. You know, in following her over the course of this campaign, I'm struck by how more incisive she's progressively gotten as the campaign has gone on. Whether it's in the realm of foreign policy or domestic policy, her insights uh, have been strengthened in terms of how they could potentially uh, accord with a broader critique of the kind that Bernie represents. So, you know, for example, and I've mentioned this to you, um, she's the only candidate I'm aware of who's been talking about the OPCW revelations where we have this dispute about the veracity of the, uh, investigatory findings in terms of the 2018 attack in Syria. She's talked about that on the campaign trail. She's been, she's denounced Israel's illegal occupation of Palestinian territory in almost more forceful terms than I can personally recall Bernie discussing it. Um, uh, She took a political risk in a way when she came out so forcefully and stridently against the Soleimani assassination because there is a cohort of her supporters who are disillusioned Trump backers. And for her to be regarded as blaming America as she was accused of doing by the Republican National Committee, after she came out and opposed that assassination, that could potentially turn off some of the more the the you know Trump-aligned people who maybe might be otherwise inclined to support her. I hear all the time at her events and elsewhere from disaffected Trump supporters who say that she's the only Democrat they could ever even envision supporting, and not because she plays this kind of. Uh, Ori uh, centrism game, where she's saying, "Oh, I just want to split the middle between Republicans and Democrats, and just go right at the center, and you know, cut some entitlements and drop a, drop some bombs." Right? No, she's she has a certain temperamental style, in part instilled by her military experience, that has appeal to conservatives and libertarians, who they've told me directly are now willing to entertain supporting things like single payer health care like banning fossil fuels, like any other number of relatively left-wing policy prescriptions that she advances because they sort of trust the way that she frames the issues. They see that she's running a campaign that is predicated on a foreign policy critique, and they agree with that critique, and that sort of changes how they orient their political vision. And I, I've I witnessed that routinely firsthand in speaking to people at her events. And I think that's sort of a unique political skill that often gets muddled, if not ignored, by the media. Who, when they do talk about the support that she engenders, they use sinister framing. They use it. They they try to cast it with sinister overtones by saying, "Oh, wow, you have these like vegan, left wing, peacenik types that are aligning with." Disaffected Trump supporters to to back one particular Democratic candidate. How awful the kind of bipartisanship that they're familiar with is the bipartisanship where you get together and plot how to, say, cut Social Security or something. So this is not the kind of bipartisanship that they are accustomed to depicting. So all they can do is resort to smears and delegitimization. And that, in part, explains why somebody like Hillary views her as something as an imposter. Or as a threat, because Tulsi's political vision runs counter to what the prevailing kind of consensus view in the Democratic Party is, or really in the political system, writ large, in, in terms of how you put together a sustainable coalition.
0: And it's very strange to see progressives say, somehow suggest that she's a Trump supporter when she's the one making some of the most forceful critiques of Trump's policies out there, uh, while so many other Democrats are silent or even going with them, uh, like in the case of uh, Iran or Syria. She even even introduced an extensive censure motion to censure Trump, not just for pressuring Ukraine, which is the focus of impeachment, but to censure him for violating the War Powers Act. But I, I don't know if she got any support at all from other Democrats on that. Do you?
1: Well, no. And her vote on impeachment does continue to come up, even among voters who attend her town hall. So that did evidently sort of penetrate into the popular consciousness about her. But the thing about that vote is that her rationale for why she did it was totally unique in the American political landscape in a way that I think is crucial. Because she voted present not because she wanted to absolve Trump of culpability for wrongdoing. She explicitly stated to the contrary That she couldn't endorse an impeachment process, which I think you and I probably agree is fatally flawed in a whole variety of ways. You know, she had an event in Manchester, New Hampshire last week where somebody who actually asked a very intelligent question put to her, what do you make of over the course of this impeachment process, the Democrats trotting out these longstanding security state bureaucrats who have been claiming that. What Trump did was so bad because it thwarted, quote-unquote, official U.S. foreign policy. Even just today, just before we started recording, I've been sort of half listening to some of the impeachment trial. And you have the Democratic impeachment managers repeating the same line where Trump is worthy of removal from office because he didn't adhere to what's been called – I think totally fallaciously, official U.S. foreign policy, whether you like it or not, the democratically elected president has a mandate to enact foreign policy as he sees fit in the context of the checks and balances of the American political system. If you don't like his conduct of foreign policy, you can vote him out. And that's essentially what Tulsi said. Not that she's supporting Trump's conduct of foreign policy. In fact, she stridently objects to it, but she's saying the right way to impose accountability for the misconduct of foreign policy is not to somehow exalt these security state officials who stick around for more or less their entire career across administrations and claim to be these non-ideological actors when essentially what they're doing is advancing the interests of the bipartisan foreign policy establishment, and the military-industrial complex. So that's who you're strengthening if you buy into this logic that's being propounded by the Democrats vis-a-vis impeachment. So I'm personally gratified that there's at least one person, (laughs) right? Because Bernie hasn't challenged, unfortunately, in my estimation, although I can understand the logic or the political rationale for why he hasn't done so, he hasn't challenged any aspect of the Russiagate or impeachment matters. And Tulsi Gabbard, to the extent that she does have a platform, has used it in service of highlighting how damaging this is if we all just kind of mindlessly sit back and accept everything that's being force-fed down our throats because we don't like Trump. Well, you cannot like Trump, but also not like these machinations on behalf of this national security state, which actually serves the purpose of further entrenching their power such that a future president— now has to contend with a precedent, with a C, that says going against official U.S. foreign policy can get you impeached. What if Bernie tries to go against official U.S. foreign policy to do something like, gee, I don't know, remove sanctions against Iran, which Tulsi also advocates, or do any number of theoretical policy actions that you could imagine him might wanting to do that would face resistance from some of these permanent bureaucracy types? and and so that that's that's sort of why I think that's why it's been personally frustrating to me to see the way that she's portrayed in the media not capture some of the truly unique insights that she brings to the table and why I'm trying to fill that void to some extent personally
0: you know you mentioned the Democrats logic also by their logic Barack Obama was violating official US policy and also a threat to national security because Adam Schiff said multiple times in his opening statement that Trump undermined our national security by briefly pausing some military assistance to Russia. And he said that we were sending that military, sorry, uh, some military assistance to Ukraine to fight Russia. And he said that we are sending that military assistance so that uh, they can fight Russia there so that we don't have to fight Russia here. So by Schiff's own logic, then Obama was undermining US policy and was weakening national security and was making us vulnerable to Russian invasion because Barack Obama, not just for a couple of months like Trump, but throughout the end of his presidency for well over a year, Barack Obama refused beltway pressure including from some of the Democrats' own witnesses like Bill Taylor to send that military assistance to Ukraine because he thought it would further inflame a proxy war and that the weapons might fall into the hands of far-right neo-Nazis, which is actually exactly what has happened under Trump. So the Democrat logic is insane, and it's amazing that people who stand up to it from inside the Democratic Party, like Tulsi Gabbard, are deemed to be traitors. It's, it's very bizarre. But let me ask you finally, uh, Michael, as we wrap, what do you think accounts for, explains, on the progressive side, this weird hostility towards Tulsi Gabbard? I totally get it if people have critiques of the specific policies that she has. I mean, I have a couple, but but by many people's account, she's been canceled. She's been uh, refused to be accepted even into consideration, sort of joining hands with neoliberal centrists like Hillary Clinton. its uh, I'm wondering what you think explains uh, what's going on there.
1: Well, part of it is just a very simple and almost mind-bendingly stupid explanation, which is that she has gone on conservative media, including Fox News. I mean, there is a section of especially the online progressive commentariat for whom that is an unforgivable offense, even though Bernie, for example, did more with respect to Fox News in terms of actual coordination than Tulsi's ever done because he worked with them to host a town hall um, last year. And that doesn't seem to anger people in quite the same way. So I think that's part of it. I think it's part because... She doesn't engage in culture war theatrics. Like She doesn't just denounce Trump for its own sake. She doesn't come up with snazzy anti-Trump like attack lines that maybe would draw some laughs or something. Because she doesn't feel like it has much utility. And she doesn't feel like it could actually succeed in peeling off the number of Trump supporters that you probably would need in order to win a general election. Especially if it's just sort of gratuitous. Especially if it doesn't have any substantive potency underlying it. So she doesn't play that game. And she also, I think it's fair to say, has some conservative temperamental instincts, right? She is still a member of the Army National Guard, and that's sort of an inherently conservative institution in terms of how you approach things in a personal way, right? So I feel like that doesn't always align with the type of hyper-emotional anti-Trump performance that a lot of people in the Democratic Party want their candidates to provide for them. So I think that that's that's those are those are parts of it. I mean, if you have a policy critique of her, okay, fair enough. I have policy critiques of her and every other candidate and every other political personality in the entire country. But I almost feel like a lot of the visceral aversion to her isn't really based on policy. It's based on this notion that she's this trojan horse or something in the Democratic Party. I often get people, very prominent people online just stating blithely that she's a secret Republican. And it's just like, can you name me a Republican who calls, number one, every single day for the defeat of Donald Trump? I haven't met a Republican who does that, except for like Joe Walsh, who's running in this fanciful Republican primary campaign against Trump and nobody was really heard of. Um, Can you name me a Republican who, again, supports single payer healthcare, who supports abortion rights, who supports certain uh, gun restrictions? go down the list, report, so calls that Israel, the occupation of Palestine illegal, uh, removing sanctions on Iran, ending drug prohibition. I don't know if a Republican supports any of those things. So I think the best way to retort that line of attack is just to simply tell them what she's advocating. And that in being so hostile to her, they're essentially just internalizing some of the narrative snippets that have been promulgated, again, since she began her campaign and even before, by the media who don't like that she challenges conventional thinking on foreign policy, and therefore lash out. Remember, this all this hostility to her really started, yes, in 2016, but again, it ramped up in 2017 when she was one of the only people, really, who got on television when Trump bombed Syria for the first time in April of 2017 and said, hey, maybe the intelligence here is not settled. And that was at the same time when you had, you remember Brian Williams getting like tearfully overjoyed at how presidential Trump had shown himself to be by dropping bombs. And also she, again, cuts against the Russiagate narrative. She has said how ridiculous it is to call Trump a a puppet of Russia, especially when Trump is is, uh, ramping up the new Cold War in a whole variety of ways that you've probably been over many times and we don't need to necessarily go through again. Um, So they take those little data points, which are not necessarily consistent with being a Republican or being a right winger at all, and sort of extrapolate that she must be acting on bad faith or she must have some kind of sinister ulterior motive. And having followed her now pretty closely, talked to her many times, I just don't see that. And I like to think that I have a pretty fair amount of critical scrutiny when it comes to assessing the motivations of politicians. So that's that's how I respond to that. Um, A lot of these people, ironically, had also claimed that Elizabeth Warren was the great progressive ally of Bernie Sanders all this time and they had held their fire on her and said you know she's this she can help support the uh, unified progressive front meanwhile flash forward and what does Warren do she essentially drops drops a, uh, throws a grenade onto Bernie's campaign and tries to destroy it by labeling him sexist
0: and meanwhile That's and meanwhile Pelosi would not, never pull a stunt like that and meanwhile Michael not really criticizing Joe Biden either despite having multiple Opportunities to do so and and despite uh, having opportunities to do so on topics that she's very much versed in such as the power of big banks who Joe Biden has served all of his career
1: Yeah Um, So how do you reconcile that? What's the explanation? I don't know you can speculate as what Elizabeth Warren is trying to do hard to say with any degree of certainty But the point is when you contrast the performance of Elizabeth Warren, excuse me do that of Tulsi. And then you have these people on the internet saying that, oh, because Tulsi did X, Y, or Z, she's awful. She's evil. She's a Republican. Just like so, does that make Warren a Republican? I mean, Warren literally was a Republican for much of her adult life, for one thing. But she's also the only candidate thus far over the course of this campaign who has really tried to tear Bernie down, whereas Tulsi, just as she did in 2016, is Coming to his de- uh, defense in a way that really, I think, gave him a little bit of a boost because she said, as a woman who was seeking to run for president, she also met with Bernie and he didn't say anything sexist. <laughs> right? So that was sort of uh, a, a necessary intervention on, on her part. Now, I think a lot of people struggle in the party with really attacking Joe Biden forcefully because they like him on a personal level. Um, they think that he's being mistreated by Trump which arguably is true to a certain extent, even if there are some real corruption issues there. Um, so they've, hold their, they've held their fire. Even Bernie did a very weird apology to Joe Biden because one of his surrogates, Zephyr Teachout, wrote a column describing some of Joe Biden's corruption issues. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there there is that dynamic at play there where a lot of these people amongst themselves have this sense of collegiality, especially like Bernie if you served with Joe Biden in the Senate Um, but with regard to Tulsi I just really wonder what are your principles if your reaction to her is one of hatred right you obviously can't be somebody who is concerned about the trajectory of US foreign policy you can't be somebody who thinks that it's worthwhile to base a campaign on taking it directly to the entrenched interests which have made it such that U.S. foreign policy generally stays roughly the same over the course of administrations in both parties. You must not care about that Uh, if you you are screeching with outrage about how awful she is. Now again, that doesn't preclude legitimate critiques that are policy based or based on some other real issue. But a lot of what I see in the hatred of her, especially among progressives, is not real. A lot of it is just this parroting of the mainstream media narrative to delegitimize her and to make her out to be this kind of evil force.
0: We'll leave it there. Michael Tracy, independent journalist currently on the road in New Hampshire covering the Tulsi Gabbard campaign. Thanks very much.
1: All right. Thanks, Aaron.